0: everyone and welcome back to eat it up so today is the second part of this limited edition series where it's just me no sam so as with the last one i would say if you're new here hello welcome love to have you go and listen to the first six episodes first they'll give you the proper vibe of what we're doing here this is really just to keep it going while sam is busy shooting scenes with timothy chalamet so in the meantime i'm filling in for just two weeks so that was last week this week by next week's episode sam will be back thank god yeah so today's been a weird day for me so far some weird interactions i had i was taking the dog out for a walk and this lady stopped us and she goes what kind of dog do you have and i was like oh she's a shih tzu and she's like what else and i was like we honestly don't 100 percent know. we think she's just a shih tzu And she goes, she is not just a Shih Tzu. And she was going off on me about all these other breeds that my dog could be. And it's like, lady, even I'm not invested in it. Like, I don't care that much. And then I called to make a dentist appointment because I haven't seen the dentist in like a year and a half. And I called them today and was like, hi, can I make an appointment for Maria, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, yeah, for sure. And she started asking, she was like, so when does she want the appointment? And I was like, oh, now it's uncomfortable because you think that I'm calling on behalf of Maria when I am Maria. So I leaned into the lie. I was like, oh, she'd like it for a blah, blah, blah. And then halfway through the phone call, the lady goes, are you Maria? And I was like, well, now it's too late for me to admit that I am. Like now, like I both I've played into this third person role. So then I go, oh, no, I'm her sister. I don't have a sister. So this day has been a weird one so far, but it's gorgeous outside. The sun is shining. We can do this. So let's let's get on to the treat today, guys. So as you'll see by the title, today we're talking about the 2000 American presidential election that was between Al Gore versus George Bush. And if you tuned in to our episode Y2K, episode number five, you'll know that I chose, for that time, creme brulee because it was debated that the dessert of the 2000s was creme brulee versus cupcakes. So today I decide, okay, I'm doing the 2000 American presidential election. I should do cupcakes. I did try to look up what George Bush's favorite food was. Apparently it's cheeseburger pizza. And I was like, there's no way I'm indulging in that. That doesn't even sound appetizing, let alone something that I want or like would be able to find. So cupcakes it was. So I went to Butter Baked Goods and they are in, I guess, Carisdale area of Vancouver, They're close to where I went to high school and they're such a gorgeous little cafe or bakery, I guess you could say. They have so many awesome treats. I've been there quite a few times now. If you walk in, it is the prettiest little place ever. It has floral wallpaper with like pink roses everywhere. All the accents are like this like dull sort of like beautiful green. And so it's just this beautiful little corner place, gets so much sun, you can I mean, before COVID, you could sit in there and get yourself a cute little lunch with your ladies. And they also, I think for a while here in BC, at least you could buy like butter baked goods is also known for like their marshmallows. So you could buy their marshmallows and like indigos everywhere. And I think it was across Canada. I honestly couldn't say because I wouldn't be able to tell you, but at least across BC you could get their marshmallows and a bunch of like indigos and chapters. So anyways, I was going there for cake. Because um, my friend Maddie is celebrating her 24th birthday tomorrow. And I was like, okay, I got to go in. I got to go get something because Maddie loves that cake. I mean, I love it too. But I went and I was like, cupcakes, they have great ones. So I picked up a couple. Um, I don't know if there's an official name for it. I guess I should have looked at it up before I started blabbering here. But essentially, I like the one where it's like a funfetti cupcake with vanilla frosting. It's very basic. It's what I love. Uh, I think Maddie prefers a chocolate sort of vibe, but I'm a vanilla on vanilla gal. So that's what I have today. And I will say I have been to butter several times. So I'm expecting this to be delicious and kind of already have an idea of what I'm going to be tasting. But I thought if I'm going to be indulging in the iconic treat of the year 2000, I should go to one of the best places in Vancouver for it. And Butter Baked Goods is just absolutely top notch. So that's what we're dining on today. This goes by so fast without Sam. We're just rapid fire over here. Let's dive into the background a bit. So as you know by the episode title, which I honestly, I'm saying this in advance. I know I'm going to struggle with this. I think I'm going to put Al Gore versus George Bush. But I also am debating whether I should be putting 2000 American presidential or like American presidential election 2000, whatever. I don't know. Anyways, no one cares. That's been my internal debate. There you go. But for background, the 2000 American presidential election was a race between the current, at the time, Vice President Al Gore, who was the vice president for Clinton, and Texas Governor George W. Bush, who was son of former President George H.W. Bush. What happened during the 2000 election was television networks mistakenly projected the results on election night leading to a concession call by Al Gore to George W. Bush that was then withdrawn an hour later due to the margin of votes being razor thin. And all of this centered around the election results in Florida. And understanding why Florida matters so much, it requires us to just take like a brief little look into the U.S. election system. So in the U.S., presidential elections, they aren't determined by the popular vote, as many of us will know by now instead the u.s uses a system called the electoral college so each state is is designated a set amount of electoral votes roughly based on their population size so for instance in the year 2000 california had 54 electoral votes whereas a state like delaware had three so a presidential candidate who gets the most votes in each state gains all of the electoral votes so let's say gore won in california he would get all 54 electoral votes, even though he maybe didn't win in every district, every region or riding. And so just for comparison, because I know it can be a touch confusing, if you're a Canadian listener, you'll know that what Canada uses is called like the first past the post system. And essentially, Canada, each province has a bunch of different ridings. And within your riding, you can either vote for the person who you think is best for your Riding in particular or you're voting for the party being like oh i want trudeau to win so i'm going to vote for the liberal mp in my riding. so for instance let's say in surrey bc you have a liberal who wins that riding that party then the liberals get a seat in the house of commons and then whichever party ndp conservative liberal green party whichever party gets the most seats they are the leaders essentially and then the party with the second is the official opposition blah, blah, blah. That's a very rough, poorly described way. But essentially in the way it works in Canada is that each riding will have its own. It's distinct. You won't have one province defined overall, if that makes sense. Sort of like if you had a bunch of ridings in BC vote liberal and a couple vote conservative, it wouldn't then mean that those ridings switch into votes for liberals. They would still be kept conservative and the conservatives would still have those seats in the House of Commons. Whereas in the US, it's like, okay, whichever presidential candidate gets the most votes in a certain state, they get all of those votes. So hopefully that makes a bit of sense. Um, so in the US in total, there are 538 electoral votes, and it takes at least 270 to win the presidency. But in 2000, neither Gore nor Bush had enough electoral votes to win the presidency. Gore had only 255, and Bush had 246. So it really came all down to Florida's 25 electoral votes. Whoever won the state of Florida would take the presidency. So what ensued was a 36-day political and legal war over how to resolve what was essentially a tie between the two presidential nominees. But Bush, as we know, he ultimately won the presidency when a sharply divided and transparently political Supreme Court ended the manual recount in Florida that might have produced a different outcome. The 2000 presidential election was the closest one in American history, with only several hundred votes in Florida determining the winner out of more than 100 million ballots cast nationwide, and some will say the election ultimately was decided by the US Supreme Court. Okay, so that's kind of the broad overview. I think it it was just important for me to describe how the U.S. system works, why Florida is actually that important in this election. But anyways, let's get into the details. So on the night of November seventh, 2000, which was election night, TV networks looked at exit polls and sample swing precincts from Florida, and they declared it a win for Al Gore, who was the current vice president for Clinton and Democratic nominee for president. The networks who made this call were ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, and Fox news. So that's a whole range in terms of political leanings. It wasn't like only the democratic news programming was saying, oh, Al Gore won. It was like a lot of them across the spectrum were saying, Gore looks like he's going to win. Their predictions came just a short while after the official closing time for voting in Florida, when relatively few votes had actually been counted. By 8 PM Eastern time, on their election night specials, the national networks were calling populous swing states such as Pennsylvania and Michigan for Gore. This taken together with Florida triggered the network's computer programs to conclude that Gore was gonna win the electoral college and become president. So celebrations began happening in Democratic headquarters everywhere. Gore's face was seen on screen as the projected winner of the presidency, but after calling the race, networks began getting phone calls from, from Republicans And soon, hosts on Fox News were telling viewers, reserve your judgment on Florida, it's still in play, it's not decided yet. So before long, other networks were hearing the objections to saying, Gore's going to win, and they began reaching the same conclusion, warning Americans that maybe Gore's not the next president. We don't know yet. So November 8th, the day after election night, began with some uncertainty as to who would be the next president. And sort of a mistake was made. Catherine Harris, the Florida Secretary of State who was Republican and also worked on the Bush campaign, she was legally in charge of certifying winners in any statewide vote. And she announced that Bush had won Florida, therefore meaning he would be president. Consequently, Gore, he called Bush. He congratulated Bush on his victory. But then he called again to rescind the concession because turns out the margin of Florida had shrunk to a sliver, with Bush winning by just 1,784 votes, and a recount was automatically deemed necessary. At the time, Republicans just, they weren't really into having a recount. They insisted that Bush had won Florida. The vote had been announced by Florida's Secretary of State, and they felt that it would obviously be accepted by the reviewing authority. This wasn't the case, though. And lawyers for the two sides, for Gore and Bush, they began arriving in Florida, focusing on the state capital, Tallahassee. And what followed was a five-week war over the ballots, the rules, the law, and the courts. The Democrats sued to force a recount by hand in four crucial counties where they thought it would help them overcome Bush's narrow margin. This meant they count the vote in those counties all over again, because they felt that with the recount, Gore had a good chance of coming out on top. So Al Gore had won the popular vote by roughly a half million ballots. So it was already kind of decided. If we were going by popular vote, Gore would have got it. But it was the all-important electoral college count from the other 49 states and D.C. that mattered. And it was so close that whoever won Florida was going to be the overall winner, like we said. So Catherine Harris insisted that the recount in those four counties, they had to be done by November 14th, providing less than a week to do all of that recounting of all of those ballots the Gore campaign they obviously wanted more time they wanted it to be done right so they petitioned the Florida Supreme Court and the court extended the deadline to November 26th but by November 26th only two counties were able to do the recount by the deadline one county they just gave up trying altogether. together they're like we don't have enough time it's not gonna work the other however they finished two hours late and they were not allowed to hand in their tally. But even with only the recounts from those two counties, Bush's lead was, you know how it was like 1,700 before? It was now 537 votes. Bush had supposedly won Florida by 537 votes. With this extremely narrow margin, the Florida Supreme Court granted the Gore campaign's request for a larger recount a 70,000 questionable ballots. But then this revealed a bit of a problem, and that being the balloting methods in Florida. Bush's margin of victory was so small that all the anomalies and oddities that mar the margins of any major election were able to really balloon into major national controversies. And evidence suggests that flawed ballot designs, confused voters, and outdated voting equipment kept the majority of citizens who intended to support Gore from having their verdict reflected in the official count. For example, there were confusing ballots marked for third party candidate Patrick Buchanan in heavily Democratic precincts, suggesting that they were cast by voters who had thought they were voting for Gore. Um, And the big thing that I saw was Florida had punch card ballots where voters would use a hole punch to like punch in beside the name of the person that they wanted to be president. But if the hole wasn't punched properly, the machine wouldn't count it. So if the voter only succeeded in like detaching a portion of the paper or they merely dented it rather than removing the punch out, their vote didn't count, it would be tossed out. So in one of the four counties alone, 29,000 votes were found to be spoiled and discarded either because they weren't properly punched or because multiple candidates were voted for in the same ticket, presumably by by mistake. Someone checked off someone that they weren't supposed to and then they tried to fix it. So at this point it's now 19 days since election night and the Republicans decided to appeal the case to the US Supreme Court arguing that Florida was reaching beyond its election authority especially this last bit of counting of trying to recount those 70,000 questionable ballots the Republicans weren't thrilled about this so the justices of the US Supreme Court voted 7 to 2 to end the Florida court's ordered recount on the grounds that it violated the constitutional principle that all votes must be treated equally. And essentially what they were saying is Florida was providing unequal treatment of the recount in different counties. Um, So in a five to four vote, the justices also ruled that no alternative method of recount could be established in a timely manner. And I think what's like, essentially what they're saying is, look, the only option we have realistically is to count these votes by hand, but we can't do that within the time frame that we need it to be done. So what's important to consider here, though, is that of the nine justices in the U.S. Supreme Court, five were nominees of Republican presidents, whereas four were nominees of previous Democratic presidents. So this decision that a recount couldn't possibly be done and that there was no other method of doing so, it can by some be viewed as being politically motivated rather than just a logistical decision because you had five republicans in the u.s supreme court you had four democrats and the vote was split five to four that there were no alternative methods so that's going to come back in our significance bit but ultimately it came down to just 537 votes out of 6 million cast in florida that decided who won the state of Florida. And it was Bush, (laughs) as we know. So Gore conceded, and consequently, Bush barely won majority in the electoral college, and only because of his contested victory in Florida. And as you'll remember, when I say barely, it's because you need 270 electoral votes, and Bush with Florida had 271. So he, he squeaked right in there. Um, Bush's election, some will say, was effectively certified by five conservative justices of the Supreme Court. The contest over the election was resolved in the courts, and Al Gore acceded to the ultimate decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, although he did strongly disagree with it. And that, everyone, is the American presidential election of 2000. let's get into significance, guys. So Bush versus Gore, it has been regarded as one of the most politically consequential decisions in the history of the U.S. Supreme Court, and also one that damaged the court's preferred image of itself as an institution far removed from everyday partisan politics. The Supreme Court's ruling It didn't appease Gore supporters, which is unsurprising. It wouldn't have appeased Bush supporters either. if Gore had won. Like, no matter what, you were going to have some people pissed off. But many Republicans saw the narrow majority vote in the Supreme Court as being split along partisan lines. And some critics, bitter about the results, will say that Gore really only lost the election to one vote that of a justice in the Supreme Court. And so the U.S. Supreme Court is meant to be nonpartisan and making decisions on an unbiased account of the facts. And so for some people, in the 2000 American presidential election, they didn't feel that was the outcome. They felt that the justices were voting along with the party that they supported. So that's never a great feeling. George W. Bush was the first president to lose the national popular vote since 1888 so for 112 years no one who became president hadn't also won the popular vote i mean we did see this again in 2016 when trump won the electoral vote but lost the popular vote to hillary clinton by a margin of 2.9 million votes in the end bush became president and he served two terms and gore continued his political life as an advocate for action against climate change what the 2000 election did though is it provided a critical blow to the efficacy of the US electoral system, where the popular vote is dismissed in favor of electoral votes. Although the American voting system continues to function the same way, even after the 2016 election, the past 20 years have provided fairly heavy blow to the legitimacy of the Electoral College in representing the votes of all Americans. So some will say like, look, the majority of Americans wanted this one person, that's who should win the other side of this is that if you think about it where where populations are concentrated let's say in the state of new york or california if you were going by popular vote it could mean that these states could have a lot more say in who wins compared to smaller states and you don't you don't always want that happening to make it seem that some of the smaller states have no influence in who wins for the presidency so there's arguments on both sides of it that are valid they they're good critiques Of the system and what's wrong but also what works best to show kind of a broader view of america as opposed to concentrated spots where there's big populations also and i don't honestly think there's any way that i can convey the importance of this election but bush's win in 2000 it permanently changed the course of american history and potentially like global history just think about the major events that happened during bush's term You have 9-11 in 2001, which caused Bush to launch what he called a war on terror, leading many people in the West to view the Middle East as the ultimate enemy, terrorists, and turning potential allies into enemies and killing countless people. I really, I obviously really can't unpack the impact of Bush's war on terror here, but I think that's just something to think about, that perhaps if Gore was in power, the response to 9-11 would have been very different, and the president who was in power for 9-11 had a massive impact globally. Also during the end of Bush's second term, there was the Great Recession in 2008. Although this it did come after his re-election in 2004, I think it's important to, to consider that before Trump, only 10 presidents in American history failed to win reelection, essentially meaning that if Gore had won office in 2000, he statistically would have had a good chance of being reelected in 2004. And then that also means that the American federal response to the Great Recession could have been completely different depending if there was a Democrat in office. And I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but it's also important to consider that since World War II, the U S experiences a pattern of alternating Republican and democratic presidents pretty, pretty much all the time. So then if let's say Gore had won in 2000 and then again, 2004, would you have had Barack Obama winning in 2008? you would have already had just had 16 years worth of Democrats. So would Obama have won if he was running? That's something to ask. And then would Trump have won in 2016? Question mark. It's Just what I'm trying to get across. I don't want to like dive too into this like parallel universe of could be's and what would have happened. Just something to think about that. It doesn't just matter that for the brief couple weeks. Oh, like Bush came out on top. It's like he played a major role in worldwide events that happened after his election. And last little bit of significance, although during last year's presidential election, people were drawing comparisons between Biden versus Trump to Gore versus Bush, the 2020 presidential election, it wasn't even close to the situation in the 2000 presidential election. As I said, the 2000 presidential election was ultimately decided by 537 votes in just one state, Florida, because that's what it was all riding on. And the outcome was the closest electoral vote margin since 1876. Instead in 2020, you have Trump pursuing lawsuits in courts in multiple States in his allegations and conspiracy theories of sweeping voter fraud. They really didn't have any merit as we found out. Um, And essentially Trump was trying to fight and say he won the election by such a large margin that something must be wrong but it was obviously backed by like literally zero evidence. So the vibes of the two elections, they're very different because one is rooted in fact. And the fact is that a couple hundred votes changed American history. The other is rooted in Trump's head that he won the election. So that's just something to keep in mind when people say that the 2020 election was similar to the 2001. It really wasn't. It's not on the same scale whatsoever, but just keep that in mind. And there you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I honestly found this was, like, such a fun one to cover because it's juicy, it's got the drama, it has changed history ever since. But it's also kind of lighthearted, you know? I mean, not so much in the years leading afterwards when Bush made some very critical mistakes, not that Gore wouldn't have done so as well, but at least in the moment, it's, like, that's such a stressful thing, but it didn't... It's not like a very sad thing, at least in that moment. So yeah, there we go. I just, I honestly love American history. They, they bring it to the table every time. <laughs> okay, so before we wind up today, let's talk about my cupcake. So this is my Funfetti cake, cupcake with vanilla frosting. And I have to say, I think I am a... Frosting, icing, buttercream—I'm, I'm a big fiend of that. I love it, but I'm also critical of it because there's a place out in uh, where I went to university. They do cupcakes, and I found that sometimes their icing either they overwhipped it or their recipe just sometimes wasn't quite right. But it just felt like you were tasting, like you were eating through a stick of butter that had a smidge of sugar on it, and that's not what I love. Like I love my buttercream to be sweet and smooth. And it's like, I don't want the flavor of butter in there so much as I want it to like add to the texture and depth of flavor. But I don't want to like feel like I'm eating butter. Does that make sense? So the name may be deceiving, butter baked goods. You would think that it might lean towards the butter flavor, but it doesn't. Their icing, their frosting is impeccable. It always tastes perfect. They don't pull that whole weird stint that some places do where you take a bite. You're like, this is just whipped cream. No, no, no! This is proper buttercream. It is fabulous. My only slight critique of butter, and I've had it before. Sometimes I find if you get like a cake with a lot of layers in it, this doesn't happen so much because there's a lot of icing in between. But I, I find that there are cupcakes that sometimes it's a very dense cupcake, and not necessarily. I don't want to say dry, because it's not like dry and crumbly. But I think the the ratio of frosting to cupcake can kind of sometimes be off, and it's not like a super. I'm gonna say it. Not a super moist cupcake. And so that's why I love buttered baked goods. But my ultimate cupcakes in the world thus far go to Georgetown Cupcakes. As I mentioned in episode two, true fans will know. um, Because their cupcakes are both incredible frosting, but also a very like beautifully moist cake. I'm saying moist a lot here. I hope that we're all okay with that decision. (laughs) But yeah, butters, cakes, they're cupcakes at least. They're not my favorite. I I love the frosting though and that's why I would eat a cupcake. But I think if you were gonna go there and you wanted, if you're able to get a slice, I would vote for getting yourself a slice of cake as opposed to a cupcake because it's still like a little treat for yourself. But I think with the layers of frosting in between, it allows it to have a little bit more moisture between the layers. And it helps it be a little bit less dense. You won't ne- need like that much milk to get through it, like as you would the cupcake. The cupcake you need like a full cup of milk for this thing. But yeah, I obviously love butter baked goods. I will be going there until until I move or it moves. Who knows? <laughs> but I would definitely recommend if you're in the area and if you have time to just stop there and be there with like a friend on a beautiful sunny day. It's in such a lovely part of Vancouver, and it also is just like, you. they have so many other treats. They have bars, they have marshmallows, you can get s'mores, they have little sandwiches, they have little drinks, like, there's so much there that it has to offer for all your cute Instagrammable treat needs that I would definitely recommend checking it out if you're in the area. And yeah, I think that's it for me. Oh my gosh. You know, I don't want to say it. I don't want to jinx myself, but I feel like I I kind of got into a groove of this. And if need be, if Sam ever has to leave again, I'm okay doing this series again where it's just you and I chatting. I'm okay with that. Hopefully you are too. We'll try to avoid it. (laughs) But sometimes you can't plan for these things. So yeah, I've had a great time talking. I really hit my niche. I now feel like I'm talking to myself in the mirror like I always do and with that everyone if you're able to but you know what's coming if you're able to follow us on soundcloud or like our tracks that would be fabulous if you're able to leave a comment and a rating on apple Podcasts, would love you for that and if you're listening on spotify once again i don't think there's anything that you can do <laughs> if you know of a way that you can like rate or subscribe or oh you can actually subscribe on spotify I take that back. Yeah, if you're able to to subscribe, that would also be fantastic. And that is everything that I have for you. I'm so excited for our next episode to have Sam back. It's great to have a conversation by yourself, but sometimes you want your conversation to have two people, and I'm getting to that point in my life. I've missed chatting with him. Hope you guys have a great Friday if you're listening to it when this comes out, or if not, any other day after that. Hope you have a great one, and I'll talk to you all next time. Goodbye.